right, we're back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call. And today I'm joined by LTS Benazzi. We're going to talk about fixed income, of course. So, um, And we have three topics, main topics today. Going to talk about the inflation report today that is coming out in the US. We're going to talk about our views on uh, bond yields. And then finally, we're going to talk about that Moody's change to the US rating that came over the weekend, which is already history, but maybe still important. But um, Altea, if we start with the beginning, as we do in all stories in this world, inflation, we have a US inflation report coming out. And as you said, right now, as we are recording, will be out in 30 minutes. So by the time you hear this, the inflation figures will already be out. And um, But you said before we went into the studio, well, Peter, maybe not put too much attention to the the current U.S. inflation report. It uh, There might be other things to consider, and those are what? Well, the medium-term inflation expectations. You see, uh, Peter, the thing is that uh, whatever figure we are getting uh, today, it's uh, rare-looking. Um, it's showing uh, where inflation has been yesterday until today. But uh, really... The question mark for the Federal Reserve at this point is uh, where is inflation headed and whether inflation, high inflation, remains uh, embedded in the economy. And there are some indicators out there that are showing uh, that high inflation is here to stay. On Friday, we had the University of, uh, University of Michigan 5 to 10 year inflation expectations Uh, rising to 3.2%, the highest uh, since 2011, since uh, the Arab Spring. And it's true that this is uh, only a survey, but it has been market moving at the beginning of the year because uh, it's deemed to be reliable and to look after uh, the Federal Reserve. Then yesterday we had the New York Fed uh, five-year inflation expectations Uh, showing uh, a down tick uh, to 2.7% from 2.8% in October. Uh, But still, it's closer to 3 than to 2. And we are talking about uh, inflation in five years' times. And also, this uh, this, uh, figure bottomed at 2% in August 2022. So expectations have been lower than today. And then also, when we look at... uh, markets, uh, the five-year five year inflation swap forward, uh, it's still above 2.5%. So all these indicators are showing that uh, inflation remains a concern and might be embedded in the economy. And the problem with these kind of indications is very much psychological. If uh, corporations believe that inflation let, is at, in five years' time is going to be at 3%, for example, they might increase the prices on their goods and employees might ask a raise accordingly to that inflation expectations. So the forces behind there um, are uh, quite uh, strong. And uh, the problem we are having now is that the market uh, is uh, starting to price interest rate cuts for 2024. But uh, it's very unlikely that the Fed is going to signal the real end of the hiking cycle until these uh, medium-term inflation expectations revert to their means, and especially uh, not until the economy is going to be in danger. Let's not forget that at the end of this quarter, 
the economy is still expected, real growth is still expected above 2% and the inflation around 3%. And I think it's it's very good points. And the irony of it all is that <clears throat> the longer it takes for the central bank to get that inflation down, the higher the probability, the higher the risks are that, as you say, they get angered, they get embedded, that those expectations move up. And as you say, when the expectations move up, you create a positive feedback loop because if you're an employee, oh, sorry, an employer, sorry, employee, and you go to your employer saying, you know, and, and, the, and the employer tries to, to say, well, inflation last year was only 2%, so this is what you're getting, but then you'll come back saying, well, my expectation is not for the inflation to be the 2%. That was history. You know, going forward, I actually think it will it will stay here. So you create this, and we talked about this on the podcast, Altia, that it's really the danger moment, I think, for central banks, and they're really afraid of it, is that you it suddenly we create this positive or negative feedback loop, if you will, between wages and inflation expectations, because if we get to that point, then it will be much more difficult to get um, inflation and, and rates under control. And that's relevant for yields, Peter, because uh, we have seen uh, quite a significant rally in, in the past couple of weeks that took uh, 10 years yields from 5% to slightly below 4.5%. Uh, now yields have rebounded and they are above 4.5%. Uh, and by the way, if they break below and close below 4.5%, they would enter bearish territory. But in reality, you know, I don't see yields dropping lower by the end of the year. I think that, that we are going to go higher and go towards 5% because you have when you look at the bond market, you can look at nominal yields two ways. The first way is nominal yields are an expression of nominal growth. And as we said before, we expect nominal growth, uh, um, real growth uh, to close the year in the US uh, above 2% and inflation to be at 3%. So if you add the two, you're going to get a 5%. That's more or less where should be the fair value of 10-year U.S. Treasury yields. And uh, also when you look at uh, rates expectations, and I know that we discussed that uh, before, when I look at the three-month software rate, I still th see that it bottoms, uh, I think, in 2026 or 2027 um, at 4%. If you uh, look at the premium that 10-year yields traded over the Fed fund rate uh, is between 100 basis points to 150 basis points, and where does that take us? Between 5 and 5.5%. So right now and for the next probably four to five months, for me it's very hard to see these yields uh, going uh, and below 4%, for example, and breaking even lower. Different is going to be next year when the economy decelerates and uh, we are seeing uh, uh, inflation also decelerating. At that point, uh, if we look at uh, nominal yields as an expression of the economy, they should be lower. But we need to get there first and we are not definitely going to get there in the next three months. And then you have that story that came out today, but as you also pointed out, it's been pointed out by policymakers, and that's the uh, the, um, the the um, the analysis that came out from Deutsche Bank today using uh, BIS uh, data. 
basically aggregating the total government position in Japan through the uh, the, the the public pension fund, the uh, the central bank and the government itself, basically arguing that the Japan is running a twenty trillion dollar uh, carry trade by basically you know. Uh, lending at their own lo- their own nominal currency, the, the Japanese yen, at a very low interest rate, and then basically reinvesting that in higher yielding assets, most particularly the U.S. Treasuries. And here the thinking is that if the the Bank of Japan is being forced to at one point, you know, tighten the monetary policy because of inflation, it could force the uh, the the uh, a position in Japan to basically begin selling some of the Treasuries, and then suddenly we could have the U.S. long-ended uh, bond yields on the move suddenly. So. That's an in, that's just something we are flagging here, and we don't have to go into details. But it's just an interesting thought experiment if that was to happen. Absolutely, and uh, honestly, uh, also the ECB has flagged uh, this concern because uh, Japanese investors are big investors in the U.S. and also in Europe, and that you know, like if you couple with embedded inflation. Uh, uh, forecast that means that uh, we might be headed uh, to higher yields, but one step at a time. It's very hard to forecast where yields are gonna go in one month, two months, and definitely it's even harder to see where they go by the end of next year. Absolutely. Well, I have difficulties predicting where equities are going next month, even so, um, it's not an easy job. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about what happened over the Weekend. So Moody's, which is one of the three large credit uh, credit agencies, uh, they made a change to their U.S. rating outlook, and they changed it from stable, I think, to negative. Mm-hmm. Which you know, on the surface, you could argue, okay, that's a pretty big deal. The bond market so far has been pretty relaxed about it. Janet Yellen, the tre- uh, the Treasury, um, uh, said, well, you know what, I disagree with the with the viewpoint, but. I think you have some interesting perspective, but maybe take us through. So what does it mean when it's changed to, to, to a negative outlook? What does it mean? Why did they do it? And, and why does that change has anything to do with Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson credit bonds? I'm, I'm very fascinated <laughs> about that. So, um, Peter, it's very easy. So right now, um, the U.S. government has uh, three ratings, uh, two of which are AA+, from Fitch and Standard & Poor. And the Moody is the only one rated uh, uh, rating the U.S. government at AAA. So by changing uh, the outlook from uh, stable to negative, it means that there might be a downgrade upcoming. Um, what does that mean? You know, like uh, they, in the report, uh, they have uh, they mentioned declining fiscal strength political polarization, everything is very bad uh, looking for uh, U.S. uh, treasuries. But when the news came out on Friday, nothing happened in markets. The news wasn't really market moving. And the reasons are two. First of all, um, the U.S. uh, uh, government rating is a double A-plus split. It means that uh, the market moving event or downgrade already happened in August when it was downgrading from AAA to AA+. And it was the second rating AA+. That uh, would have meant uh, that there could have been some unwinding of repurchase agreements, loans and derivative, but that didn't happen because we learned in August uh, that there is uh, some wording in financial contracts uh, that refer to AAA-rated bonds or debt bet by U.S. government. So it doesn't really matter if 
that debt issued by the U.S. government is going to be AAA or AA at That's this a point. sneaky. That's a sneaky wording. <laughs> exactly, but it worked, right? Yeah. So that's the reason why the market didn't move uh, on Friday. But there might be another reason because it's true that there is a deterioration of um, uh, fiscal strength in the U.S. and also like demand and supply that we discussed about in the in the past uh, podcast. But realistically, if the U.S. government is going to become a solid AA plus, then that puts in doubt all the ratings for other credit uh, uh, bonds outstanding. And the big two examples are Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson. They are the only two corporates rated AAA. And they trade at a pickup over U.S. treasuries. It means that you can lock in a better yield by buying bonds from Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson than buying U.S. treasuries bonds. So it means that the market perceives a bigger risk in these two corporations than the U.S. Treasury. And the reason it's simple, if there is a credit event, who do you think that repays uh, your debt? Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson? Or, or you think that the U.S. Treasury is more likely to repay those bonds to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. That's actually a fair point. Um, fascinating. So... So basically, the, the thought about it is that uh, if we have a solid AA plus in U.S. Uh, in, uh, US uh, in, in the rating of uh, the U.S. government, then you will have a repricing of credit risk for those corporates that trade in the U.S. And that obviously will be risk off because if you have widening credit spreads, where will money flow? They will flow on the risk-free asset, which mm. is U.S. Treasuries. So a downgrade from movie D initially might be bullish for U.S. Treasuries and not bearish. <laughs> what an irony. That's, uh, that's an interesting take. Um, yeah, okay. So, and final thing, we didn't actually talk about it when we talked about uh, our views on, on yields. So are we still... Are we still positive on a barbell strategy, basically where you have exposure at the very short end of the yield curve, uh, but also the long end of the yield curve? Is that still the right strategy to uh, to approach the bond market with? Yes, uh, Peter, I think that at this point, uh, it's very important to position uh, in a way to take the least uh, credit risk and duration risk in markets. And that's possible to do by staying in the front part of the yield curve. And by the way, uh, for those investors looking to buy three-year U.S. treasuries, they would start to lose money if yields rise by 100 basis points, uh, which means that the Federal Reserve would need to hike multiple times and now doesn't really seem attainable. Um, and also, when you look at the two-year U.S. treasuries, investors will start to realize losses if yields move higher by 200 basis points to, to almost uh, 7%, right? So... Uh, also that uh, it, it's quite an unattainable uh, scenario. But I, I still really like the 10-year U.S. Uh, treasuries uh, despite yields dropped um, in, uh, in the past uh, few weeks. And the reason is always the same, Peter. Um, they, the risk and reward ratio that they provide to the portfolio is quite good. If you buy these uh, securities at 4.6% and you hold them uh, over a year, 
if yields rise by 100 basis points, it will lose 2%. But if they drop by 100 basis points, uh, then it would gain 12%. And so they will provide to your portfolio some sort of uh, protection in case we see a rapid deceleration of the economy or a tail event that right now it's very impossible to forecast. All right, great. And we also had a listener um, that wanted us to, you and I, to talk about the concept called fiscal dominance. So um, you and I are still, you know, thinking about how to approach this topic. It's a, a can be a little bit technical. So, um, but that uh, let's see whether we bring that up uh, in, t- in next week's uh, podcast in fixed income. But in the meantime, I think that was a, a wrap for um, for the podcast. So basically, stay tuned to the inflation expectations. Obviously, very important. And again, review that uh, barbell strategy is a good way to look at it. Also, LTS, uh, great points on where is the fair value potentially in the nominal yield space and what we're seeing in terms of growth. And then, well, watch the credit space if we get a downgrade from Moody's uh, in the future. And with that, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with Fixed Income. Thank you.